0: Welcome to Marvel's Standom. Yet again, I am not your host, Mike Cicchini. I'm Den of Geek News and Features Editor, Kirsten Howard, and joining me as always are Den of Geek editors Katie Burt and Alec Bajalid. This week we're taking a deep dive into Marvel's Hawkeye finale which is now streaming on Disney+. There will be spoilers ahead, so please proceed with caution. Hawkeye's sixth episode was one final gift from Marvel Studios after a year that included some wild twists in the likes of WandaVision, Falcon the Winter Soldier, Loki, Black Widow, What If, Shang-Chi, Eternals, and Spider-Man No Way Home. But there is a lot to unpack in this one. Before we get started though, Alec, can you remind us what happened?
1: I'll do my best. On the finale of Marvel's Hawkeye, the newly reunited Kate Bishop and Clint Barton team up to confront Kate's mom, Eleanor, at the Bishop Security Christmas party. That's easier said than done, though, as at this point both Hawkeyes have built up quite the rogues' gallery. With an arsenal of freshly made arrows, a team of LARPers, and the unwanted help of Jack Duquesne, the duo take down the tracksuit mafia. Meanwhile, Maya Lopez kills both Kazi and Kingpin, though the latter may somehow find a way to survive a gunshot to the head. Thanks to Clint's exhaustive knowledge of Natasha's childhood memories, he is spared by Yelena and the two become uneasy friends. In the end, Clint Barton makes it home for Christmas with two strays in tow, Kate Bishop, AKA New Hawkeye, and our beloved Lucky the Pizza Dog. Uh, Oh yeah, and Laura Barton is probably Agent 19. (laughs) The end, post-credits, Rogers the Musical.
0: Thank you, Alec. So I guess we'll start with our favorite parts of the episode, if you can pick out a favorite moment and how you felt about the episode overall. Um, Katie, what did you think of this one? There was so much
2: that happened in this episode, but it never felt overstuffed. I'm just very impressed with the pacing of the show in general (laughs) and how much they managed to get in, but also, you know, do each storyline thoroughly. And I think we had talked about this in a previous episode where this show is in a really good job making the stakes feel personal leading into this climactic episode and all these little mini battles that are happening all um at one christmas zone um and yeah it just made this final episode so rewarding there were a few things I didn't love about how Clint's storyline was wrapped up, but I think we can get into that a bit more later. And I also wish that Yelena had gone home for Christmas with them.
1: Uh, I like this episode as well. I will say though, that, um, in many ways, this felt harder to (laughs) prepare for, unpack and comprehend than Spider-Man No Way Home, which we just did like two days ago. There are a lot of characters flying around here uh, and doing stuff.
2: Sometimes literally.
1: (laughs) i think hawkeye was a delight overall i think the first three episodes were probably a bit better than the back half just because it got so you know ambitious and overstuffed uh but to the show's credit it doesn't really lose sight of the fact that this is at its core kate and Clint's story and it wraps it up quite nicely in the end here my personal favorite part of this episode though is jack duquesne and his childlike excitement, being able to use his sword to fight <laughs> tracksuit mafia. Jack
2: is is a delightful part of this episode, and has been a delightful part of this show in general.
1: <laughs> I think this was kind of a nice a trolley episode for Marvel, because I mean, first of all, the post credits, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Uh, but also just the, the 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 reveal that Jack is just a moron. He's just a garden variety moron. And I think it's almost like <laughs> kind of poking fun at the fans that like, oh, you thought this was the big bad? This like uh, fail son with this ridiculous mustache? And has <laughs> never worked, worked a day, day in his life? life.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I do love that he shares this eagerness with Kate. Like they both have this eagerness that's really endearing. Yeah, seeing that in full display in this episode was... Was a nice kind of connection between the two. I'm not that invested in their relationship, but it was interesting to see them come out as allies um, after having such a like, you know, very background like tumultuous relationship (laughs) throughout the season.
0: She clearly couldn't stand him and was very wary of him. I thought it was such a nice moment when uh, she came across him uh, fighting or whatever, and was just like, and he called her sweetheart, and it was just. (laughs) It was like they were on better terms by the time this season finished than she is with her mm-hmm. mother, who she loves a lot. Speaking of Eleanor Bishop, she turned out to be, I guess, a victim of circumstance in a way, because she had to pay off uh, Kate's dad's debt to Wilson Fisk, which she which she did, and then some, but was still still clearly under his thumb. Um, did she deserve to go? To, I mean, she did get deserve to be arrested for <laughs> killing Armand, but to, we didn't find out why she did it or for what reasons she was uh, told to do it.
2: I loved that scene and I thought that that was the most impressive thing Kate did um, in kind of like assuming this mantle of a hero is, holding her own mother accountable for the crime that she's committed. There's so much we don't know about Armand III. I'm like, who was that guy? (laughs) But yeah, I wish that theme of accountability had been applied a little bit more um, evenly across the episode, although, you know, often or always, that is not how it works in real life. So.
0: No, I mean, Kate holds uh, Eleanor accountable, but then killer Clint Barton, he's okay to be a partner and a friend to spend Christmas with. Uh, He doesn't, um, he isn't punished for any of the murders he's done. Um, And Kate seems fine with it. So there's a bit of a mixed message there between how she views Eleanor's crimes and how she views Clint.
1: Yeah, I wanna know what uh how her father built up that much debt.
0: I'm constantly <laughs> confused about the economics
2: of this world, most especially why any of the Avengers who seem to have like a very close relationship with the American military um are wanting for money.
1: <laughs> yeah. And Tony Stark. Like
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Some of those in his will.
0: Obviously, this episode sees the return of Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin. He's still terrific. He's still great but there was some confusion online I think afterwards as to why they would bring him back only to kill him. But, you know, he died off screen. For me, it seems pretty clear that that means he's almost certainly not dead. What did you think about Vincent's return to the MCU?
1: But I, I kind of think he is dead. I know it's <laughs> off screen, but I just feel like it's off screen because you can't, you can't shoot somebody in the face on screen. <laughs> on a Disney Plus series. <laughs> like At to,
2: Christmas.
1: Yeah, in a Christmas series where there is a, a character With a pizza named Lucky the pizza dog. Yeah. You can't watch Vincent D'Onofrio's head explode and <laughs> brains and viscera fly all over the camera. Maybe he is alive. Uh, our, our good friend Gavin Jasper points out that Wilson Fisk has survived exactly such an injury in the comics. Um. But yeah, it wouldn't shock me if they brought him back for just kind of one more swan song. Because um, these things take time to set up. I mean, like, it takes time to set up another Daredevil series. It takes time to set up another Kingpin series or what have you. So I don't know. Maybe it was just a, a quick swan song for, for Vinnie D.
2: <laughs> Insert Spider-Man, uh, No Way Home, spoiler siren here. Wee wee um, <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Well, that was instantaneous. (laughs) I don't really care if he's alive or dead. I think, I mean, it does feel like thematically strong conclusion to Maya's arc here, but I do think especially with the appearance of Daredevil and Spider-Man, I don't know. I'm just like, what What are your plans, MCU? (laughs) There's this reference to Clint's wife being a mockingbird we, there is another actress who's played that character in the Marvel TV universe, Adrian Palicki. And so every time they choose to, I don't know, to like bring back a character from some other part of the like pre Disney plus Marvel TV universe and have them be played by the same actor. I don't know. I just, I feel like we've talked about how the MCU is very forward thinking and constantly looking ahead and it seems like the sort of one-off move that they very rarely make, especially for shows that are not on their platform.
1: Because to me, if this were not a Marvel series um, and they brought back a character from an earlier series, I'd be like, oh, what a a nifty little Easter egg for fans. Like, oh, look, it's Vinnie D as Wilson Fisk. We love him. But since it's Marvel, like, you have to analyze it like a Freudian dream. Like there's just, there's no way that they bring Kingpin (laughs) back for just one thing. And like Kevin Feige himself can come back to say, oh, did you guys enjoy that? Uh, you know, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's return as Kingpin? Well, that was it. Have fun. <laughs> I wouldn't even believe
2: that. <laughs> the MCU has me so like attuned to this sort of thing that in the scene between Jack and Armand Seventh, I was just like, what is Armand Seventh's deal? What is his future arc going to be, you know? So, and that's like, obviously a very minor character who we may never see again, but I'm like, <laughs> maybe we'll see Armand Seventh. I don't know.
0: <laughs> so we spoke a little about Laura Barton and how she may or may not have been Agent 19, aka Mockingbird, but she definitely worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. and now that watch subplot has been tied up in a fairly neat little bow, uh, there was a lot of theories around about who that watch might belong to and they've got the fans whipped up a bit. you know there's a few reddit threads going around. Um, but it turned out to be quite a simple explanation and um, there's been some like disappointment online that it wasn't you know someone bigger or more exciting than Laura. Were you disappointed by that reveal?
1: Let me speak very clearly before Katie <laughs> <laughs> could continue. I will never, never be disappointed by Linda Cardellini. Period. All right, Katie, go ahead.
2: The only thing that I was disappointed by is the continued like criminal underutilization of Linda Cardellini in this franchise. <laughs> like, I think I'm just annoyed. I'm like, oh, cool. There's a reference to her being like a cool badass spy that gets to do cool stuff in this universe. Um, yeah, I guess we're never going to see that
1: i mean unless they have something you know truly cool in mind for it later on which i mean you know more power to you but at the moment i had always kind of liked the fact that the barton family was mostly disconnected from all this madness i had always assumed that like clint and laura had like met at a coffee shop or had like got on like bumble or something and i don't know i thought that was just kind of charming and more appealing than the whole every single character, named character in the Marvel universe has connections with Shield or the Avengers or that kind of thing. I don't know, withhold judgment for now. Maybe they'll make a Mockingbird TV show later on. That'll be the coolest thing I've ever seen.
2: It is unclear also why other people outside of the family really cared about this watch, like why it has value to other other people or that much value to other people. and when you have this kind of reference without actually like cementing what that means within, within the universe. Um, yeah, it just felt, it did feel like a bit of a misstep, I think for the show in a way that it rarely did. And a misstep for that kind of comic book reference that I think the MCU usually does so well.
0: One thing that certainly wasn't a misstep in this show was uh, Florence Pugh's Elena Bilova, who was just delightful. Every second she was on screen, I was happy <laughs> and I can't wait to see her again. I don't know when she'll pop up again, probably not in something like Thor or Doctor Strange 2, But uh, I hope we get her back soon. Her chemistry with uh, Hailee Steinfeld has been consistently good and I could just watch those two forever. What do you guys think about the new Black Widow and the new Hawkeye? I love it so
2: much. I love the elevator scene. (laughs) I love the tracking shot fight sequence um, through the office building. They've sold me on this character so quickly, and have sold me on the on the new Hawkeye character, on the Kate Bishop character, so quickly as well. And I think a lot of that is down to the casting, which the MCU has obviously consistently done extremely well since the very beginning, and just continues to to nail.
1: And that tracking shot fight through the offices of Bishop Security was awesome. And it was like one of the few fights in the MCU, at least recently, where the two combatants were completely mismatched in terms of skill. Uh, Yelena is an elite (laughs) world-class assassin and Kate is just kind of getting started out. And I thought the choreography reflected that. Both characters are at kind of the height of their acting game.
2: I also am remembering that I cried during the Yelena Clint scene. Watching
0: the show in the morning, I also cried. Yeah, I also cried like a little yeah. baby. Going back to what you were saying a second ago, though, the probably one of the greatest moments of this episode with, for me was when um, you know Yelena and Kate were in the elevator and they they started sort of scrapping with each other. And of course, we've seen you know countless fights in the MCU with people punching and kicking each other, and you kind kind of become numb to it after a while. But the bit where um, Kate slapped Yelena and there was a genuine shock, like, "Why would you slap me? That hurt!" Like, uh, I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> you know, she slapped her. That's terrible." I do think that as as
2: good as the action was across this season, it it did feel like they made a special effort to hold some of Kate's like impressiveness until this final episode. And I think something it really had to do is show that she's ready to be, you know, like a proper superhero, whatever that means. Um, and she, she was so cool here and she really held her own against some very scary opponents. And I think in that respect, this episode in this show did like what its primary objective was to prove that she is Capable of being a super powerless hero in this in this
1: world. She's capable. Okay. Kate has a nice moment um, in this episode when she, you know, tells Clint that uh, he inspired her that a a normal person without any abilities could be a superhero. And then I think this episode displays like how the the normal human beings without godlike powers uh, are able to hold their own in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think it just comes down to creativity. Clint always has creative uses for those arrows. And then I think Kate's finest hour is just shooting two cables out of the Rockefeller Plaza Christmas tree so it falls down.
2: I was like this is a bad idea. This could definitely crush people and also <laughs> I mean I guess I'm glad that Owl survived, but it was a little horrific. When those,
1: people got... <laughs> those men may have been eaten alive by an owl.
2: <laughs> that is probably the
1: darkest this episode got. That's the darkest that anything is. Yeah. That's the darkest anything that's ever happened in MCU. Have you guys seen that image going? Or maybe it's not on your social feeds, but my my Twitter is filled with, um, uh, like, an X-ray photo of a hippo. Like, it shows like a hippo, and then the X-ray photo of a hippo. When you think you think that like ninety percent of a hippo is just pure fat, and it's literally like muscle up to the skin. Like, not an ounce of fat. <laughs> And that just, I have to imagine, that's what uh, an MRI for Kingpin looks like. I was it's wondering like,
0: where
1: this is going. He's like, he's like, he's like six foot nine, 400 pounds, and has like a 0.01% body fat percentage.
2: Does Kingpin have any superpowers?
1: No, he's just huge. Okay. He's just huge. I didn't think he <laughs> did. He's like uh, intelligent enough to run the criminal underworld.
0: So given that most of the plot threads of Hawkeye were tied up and everyone seemed to get closure more or less, would you think they might make a season two of Hawkeye?
1: Um, They are. It's called Echo.
0: (laughs) I
2: think they'll make make a season two of Hawkeye. But also I'm like, I could see Kingpin coming back for that. But then I'm like, who comes back for Echo? Who's <laughs> their antagon- antagonist?
1: I don't think we'll get a season two of Hawkeye. I think Jeremy Renner is understandably all set. Uh, I mean, like he's he, he's put in his time. Um, I think I think Kingpin's probably all set, but I'm I'm ready to be proven wrong on that. Uh, I think Kate Bishop's future is in the mo- is in movies and team up series like Young Avengers. Uh, And I think if they want to return to this street-level New York world, they're going to do so with Echo, whenever that comes out.
0: Let me ask you another question then. So from the beginning of Hawkeye, we've chatted on and off, uh, off camera about how it was becoming our favorite of the MCU shows to date. Now that it's over, where would you rank it? Is it your number one? and if not what is your number one
1: it's still wandavision
0: okay
2: i think a lot about theme and like success or not of theme in tv shows and movies because i think it's like an under um valued aspect of success or not and i do think that wandavision had a very clear coherent theme and it explored it extremely well um i was really hoping for hawkeye to to really explore the theme of accountability in the MCU um, better than it did.
0: So what was your answer,
1: <laughs> I can't believe oh, I was in the top five.
0: <laughs> is, is it Hawkeye?
2: I, I guess it's Hawkeye.
0: <laughs> I think it's important to note that One Division is a bit of a unicorn in the MCU, so it's very hard to compare it to other things, you know, when something is going outside its remit or uh, pushing the envelope of this formula it's it's very hard to compare it to the other shows which perhaps stick more within the boundaries of the mcu that's it for this week's marvel standom we'll be back in the new year of course and so will mike cicchini i promise please like and subscribe we need your support but in the meantime you can find us on our web home of denofgeek.com where we write about the mcu in loads more detail You can also hit us up on Twitter at Marvel Standem or at Den of Geek US. And if you've had enough of watching us, you can also follow Marvel Standom as a podcast on Spotify and Apple. Merry Christmas!
1: What happens to them now?
0: I don't know. I'll tell Scott about that one.